how many of us deeply need to feel the awareness, like we, we need God. We are desperately needy. And it's so good to know that when you call upon the Lord, he'll meet you. Like when you call on his name, he's not going to be like, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess try a little harder. You know, he's like, I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you in that. And, um, and he's an ever-present help in a time of need. So let's come before the Lord in prayer, and we're going to pray for our time in the Word. Father God, I just thank you for this time, Lord, to get in your Word, to get in the Scriptures, Lord. And I thank you for Matthew chapter 11, Lord. I thank you for the treasures that it, that it brings before us. I thank you, Lord, for the picture of Jesus as majestic and kingly and yet gentle and lowly of heart. Sometimes, Lord, we can be so confused when we, we think of Jesus and we think of him, Lord, either not as the king or just gentle and lowly. And Lord, both are true. And I just pray, God, that you would meet with us now, that your spirit would come upon the preaching of the word, Lord, that you would prepare each and every heart to hear your word, that you would open our hearts to receive the, the treasures that you had for us in the scriptures and to get the help we need, and to get the word we need. And Father, we just pray, God, that you would do surgery in our souls, that you would do surgical work that only the Spirit of God can do when you blow upon the word as it's heralded. And so I pray, God, that you would set a door over the, uh, my mouth. Lord, guard me that I might speak forth your word truthfully, clearly, with compassion and tenderness and love. And Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to get into the scriptures. And so I pray, Father, come and meet with us now as we get into this great word. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're not already there, turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Can you all hear me? Good? Okay. So when we get into this, this text before us, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25, and following, we're confronted with the truth and the reality that we live in a world that the one thing that can describe our world is not peace and rest, but unrest, right? Like our world, the world we live in, if anything, the last 18 months has taught us is that we live in a world of unrest. And so many things can happen that can change your life in but a moment, and shake you up. And maybe you're coming in here today and you're like, I'm kind of on a thin thread here. Like, I'm just dangling, trying to just get by. Or you feel like, I, I just got thrown into an Olympic-sized pool and I'm just treading water. And I'm just trying to, you know, like Dory uh, in, in uh, Finding Nemo, right? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Just, and some of us live life like that, right? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And we're just tired and we're weary and we're heavy laden and we're just burdened with the affairs of life and the difficulties of living as fallen people in a fallen world where stuff just goes wrong where schedules just get crammed, packed, where our minds get numb sometimes because we're just, it's like we almost want to binge TV just to kind of get a breath from 
all of the monotony and the busyness and the unrest all around us. And we're crying out in our very souls, I need rest. I need something deeply in my soul. I need the rest of God. And that's what Jesus is going to lay before us in this passage. He's going to remind us that we can be really busy doing things that are good in life, like earning a paycheck, working hard out on the farm or at the bank or wherever you're employed, and you're putting in the long hours. And it's just like work, 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 paycheck, do it all over again. Work, 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 paycheck. Or you feel the, the long, hard grind of parenting, and you just feel beat down by it. You love your kids, but you're wore out. And you're crying out, right, in your soul for rest. Or you just feel like, I'm struggling in my body. I have so many physical maladies. I have so many health issues and underlying conditions. And I'm stepping into life and I feel like I'm drowning. And Jesus has hope for us. I mean, Jesus has hope for us. And just as we read earlier, John the Baptist was in prison, right? And he's kind of worried, like, what, what's going on? If Jesus is on the scene and he's the king of kings and lord of lords, and I'm in prison and I'm hearing about him, but why am I still in prison if Jesus is about to take over? Because that was the expectation. expectation. And Jesus says to him, he says, in verse 4 of chapter 11, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is uh, the one who is not offended by me. So he's like, John, I'm, I'm going to give you a spiritual messianic checkup so you know who I am. And, and, and he's talking right out of the mouth of the prophet Isaiah in his prophecy where he said that that's what the Messiah would be like. Nobody in the history of the world could give sight to the blind, could make the deaf hear, to, could heal a cripple by a word, and Jesus is on the scene and he's setting people free. And you remember the woman with a flow of blood and she just is like, if I could just get up to Jesus, if I could just crawl through that crowd and all I need to do is touch the fringe of his garment and I'll be made well. And she sneaks up there and she gets just close enough, grabs a hold of Jesus, power goes out of him. And she's healed. Your faith has made you well. And so Jesus is a powerful king but he's also a gentle savior. So some of you are like, you're stumbling over the majestic kingliness of Jesus. And he wants to give you a word today that he's gentle and lowly of heart. This is the one place in the Bible where Jesus tells you his heart. And it's meant to breathe life on us. It's meant to give us help. It's meant to be a healing balm for your soul. To give you the rest you really need. Deep down. But it's not a rest that means you're like on perennial vacation, right? And you just 
living on vacation all the time, doing nothing. It's an inner rest and peace that all is right between you and God. The smile of God is over your life. Jesus has rescued you and you've been made new. So look with me, if you would, at verse 25 of chapter 11. We're going to read it straight through and then we're just going to unfold it like a diamond looking at different facets of this gospel grace. At the time that Jesus declared, or sorry, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then these words that I hope just wash over your heart. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One famous minister said of this passage, there's few passages in the four gospels more important than this one. There are few which contains in so short of a space so many precious truths. So we want to kind of just turn this over so we can see this precious realities that are meant for our good and meant for the help of your soul. So wherever you're at today, wherever you come in with, all the baggage, all of the, 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 the unrest, this is meant to help you. This is, this is directly, this is God's word to you so you can have hope in the one who can truly give rest. And give hope. So we're going to look at saving rest is sovereignly revealed. We're going to see that saving rest only comes through Jesus. And then finally, that saving rest is actually offered to all who will come. Is that not Jesus' heart? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So number one, saving rest is sovereignly revealed. Look at verse 25. It's right here. At that time, so Jesus is praying. At, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. So the first thing we realize is that Jesus is actually praying for our benefit so that we would realize that his relationship with the Father is one of a son to the Father. Jesus is the divine Son of God praying to the Father and rejoicing and praising in God's will to reveal saving truth, gospel hope to some and to hide it from others. And you'll notice it, it's right there in the passage, right? I thank you that you have revealed these things or hidden these things rather from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. 
And I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So God is in control. Jesus knows that the Father is in control of the universe. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Every hair on your head is numbered, right? The stars he knows by name and holds them in existence. And not a hair from our heads actually falls to the ground or a sparrow from the sky apart from God's sovereign, holy will. He's in control of everything, and there's not even a rogue atom or molecule on the planet that's outside of his control. And that is a comfort. It's a comfort to Jesus. So when he says, listen, God actually hides the truth from the proud-hearted, self-sufficient, wise in their own eyes, understanding, think they know it all kind of person, he hides the truth from them. But he reveals it to babes. He reveals it to children. And the, the idea there is those who are humble, dependent, knowing they need their heavenly father. Then we come up in here and we're like, oh, I don't need God. I got it under control. I've got everything worked out. And it's the humble who know their need, who are dependent like a child depends on his father that get the help. In this passage, and, and, and this is glorious wisdom being revealed. It's a prayer that we're being cued in on that Jesus is actually praising God for his majesty, his wisdom and his divine plan to rescue sinners and to reveal the truth who know to those who know they're messed up, to who know their need, who acknowledge it who realize we're like Dory, right? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. We're just hoping it gets better. And when you come to that place where you come to the end of yourself, Jesus is saying the Father is pleased to reveal and disclose the gospel truths to you and perhaps you've been blinded thus far because of proud-heartedness and thinking you don't need God. And he made you. He, need, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's got the world in his hands. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And the beating heart in our chest is beating because he wills it so. And this father reaches out to the humble and gives help. And of course, Jesus is speaking this in the context of what we read, where he's on the scene as the king, healing lepers, walking on water, giving sight to the blind. And there's these cities, some of them are his hometown. And they don't believe, they're seeing all this stuff and they want to explain it to, away. Like, is this not the carpenter's son? I mean, I saw Jesus in the wood shop doing some stuff over there. How can he be the son of God? And yet Jesus would touch the leper and he would clean them. He would pronounce forgiveness on people and say, son, your sins are forgiven. And then just so people got the point, he would say to the cripple as he does that, rise up and walk so that people will know that I have the authority to forgive sins because the son of man comes with the power of God's spirit. And when he does something, the very finger of God is upon you. Rise up and walk. And the man gets up 
and everybody marvels. Yet some of the cities would reject him, would not believe. And he actually says at one point, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented long ago if the stuff I'm doing in your city was done in Sodom. And y'all know Sodom is nasty. Sodom is, is, is the picture of unbelief and, and reckless sin and arrogance and pride and all sorts of carnality. But he's saying, if I was doing the stuff I'm doing in your city, if I did that in Sodom, they would have repented long ago. And greater is your judgment because they were proud. The Pharisees thought they knew Jesus or thought they knew what was going on. And they had all this religion. And they're like, we're just going to kind of keep the law and we're going to kind of get all the sinners away from us. And we're going to have our own little clique and our own little religion. And God will be pleased because we're going to earn it. We're going to just be swimming and swimming and swimming. And God's going to like the way we're swimming. Because we're like Michael Phelps up in here trying to swim in ways that are just, you know, this is, this is me. God, you've got to recognize that. And they were missing it. They were proud and arrogant. J.C. Ryle once said about this passage, the one thing at all events stands out in Scripture is this, as a practical truth to be had in everlasting remembrance. Those from whom the gospel is hidden are generally the wise in their own eyes and the prudent in their own sight. And those to whom the gospel is revealed are generally the humble, simple-minded, and willing to learn. The humble heart, the teachable person, the person who's open to the Lord. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we see the wisdom of God putting down the proud hearted, blinding them in their unbelief. And then reaching out to the humble, needy sinner who acknowledges that before the throne of God. There is nothing so likely to keep a man out of heaven and prevent him from seeing Christ as pride. And so long as we think we are something, we'll never see our need to be saved, Ryle goes on to say. It's, like, it's this pride that keeps us from the kingdom. It's this proud-heartedness. It's this stiff-neckedness. The Israel, sometimes God would just be like, you're like stiff-necked. You're proud. You're just, Ugh. you know? And every parent in here knows, you know, like when you tell your child to do something and, and when they don't want to do it, when they don't want to obey, this is all of a sudden the kind of shoulders tense up, the neck stiff. And God is just saying like, that's a picture of the heart that's just giving God the Heisman. And Jesus is like, come to me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't harden your heart. Come to me in your need. Acknowledge your need. Verse 26. Yes, Father. Reveal, so he's saying that revealing these things to childlike faith, those who are dependent on God, revealing these things is the gracious will of God. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
that men would humble themselves and receive grace. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I remember uh, every once in a while in the Phillips household, my kids actually run out of energy. It's not, it's not very often, but like sometimes it happens and they're worn out. It might, ha- it might take like 18 hours and then finally, you know, we're about 10 p.m. and they can't even get up the stairs and they go limp and they're just like, Daddy, can I just, you know, Daddy, I need your help. And so I'll swoop them up. They, they, they just know they need dad to get through anything. And there's this total dependence, this total submission, this total, I'm putting myself in your arms. And that is the heart. That's the picture of the heart that receives the grace of God. Is that your heart today? receiving the grace of God with open arms like a child. Daddy, just take me up the stairs and put me to bed. I need rest. Truth number two. Saving rest comes only through the Son. Look at verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, Jesus says, And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And you got to just think, this is like an amazing claim. Jesus walked on the scene in the midst of a bunch of religious Pharisees who thought they knew it and thought they knew everything. And He said, hey, I'm from God. I'm I'm the Son of God. I came from heaven. All authority that God has, He has given to me. The Father has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. And no one knows me except the Father, and no one knows the, or no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal. So what's that all about? It's like, what is that? Jesus is saying, there's only one way to salvation. There's only one way to know God. There's only one way to get the rescue that you need and that you long for and that we contemplated. We live in unrest and we are weary. And the only way we can get help is through Jesus. Jesus said, I have the authority to give rest to the weary. I'm the son who came from the father. And that was like, blasphemous if it wasn't true. If Jesus isn't who He said He was, then He's some guy just claiming to be God who isn't. But the divine Son of God stood before people and said, I know the Father and the Father knows Me. And He sent Me. And I can reveal the Father to whom all I choose. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. And this is just biblical realities of who Jesus is. And it's meant to encourage you. It's meant to show you that He has the authority and He's actually the one who can tell us how to be saved. Because He's the only one who came from heaven. He's the only one who can get you back. 
He's the only one who can restore you. He's the only one who could bring you into a relationship with the Father because He's the Son. And when you trust in Him, you're adopted into the family of God. When you trust that He died on a cross and rose up out of the grave, three days later, He bore the wrath that we deserve for our sins on the cross. And when we, when we lay hold of that, and when we rest in that, and when we trust in that, life comes into our souls. And that's a picture of salvation. And it's a picture of the son saying, come into this relationship that's been going on before time began between the father, the son and the spirit, that perfect, holy community. The triune God, the father loved the son from all creation and the son loved the father. And the spirit is the bond of love between the son and the father. And he's the one who reveals to us our needs convicts us of sin and ushers us into the family of God once again. And we get that, that reality of love. Do you want to know why love exists? Because it existed from all eternity within the triune character of God. How did it get into the universe? The atheists will tell you, you know, it just, you, we just kind of like blew up. And, 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 and the, the, the universe started ordering itself and millions of years later, all of a sudden intelligence popped into existence and humans came out of the primordial stew eventually. And, and that's nonsense. You don't get love from that. You don't get divine love and rescue. You don't get the intelligence of the creator who made all things. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And he sent his son to let you know it. So that you might come to love him. Saving truth comes to us in the Son. And there's no greater rescue. And some of us like might stumble at this idea, like, Jesus is the only way to heaven. I get that a lot, you know? It's just kind of arrogant that you would say Christianity is the only way. It's the only way. But God had a plan. And all truth, listen, hear me on this, hear my heart. All truth is exclusive. All truth exposes falsehood. Two plus two always equals four. You can't get two plus two equals five. It excludes that, right? The very truth excludes the error. And so if Jesus is the way, there is no other way. If Jesus is the, the way that God made, then he says, all who come to me, all who are laboring and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Truth number three. Saving rest, saving rest is offered to all who will trust in the Son. Think about how incredible that claim is. Saving rest comes to all who would trust in the Son. So God will withhold no one from the kingdom of heaven who comes through His Son. Anybody who comes can get in. Anybody who comes to Jesus can get help. 
That's what this passage says, right? Look at verse 28. This is God's word. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And that, that language, labor and heavy laden, it's this idea of this harsh labor, this burden on your back. John Bunyan once wrote something called the Pilgrim, uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And he pictured a man kind of journeying towards salvation. And he has this big old pack on his back that represents sin and self-effort and trying to earn your way to the kingdom. Dory, just keep swimming. Just Imagine Dory with like a little back, backpack, just like that's super heavy and loaded up with rocks. And she's just like, this ain't swimming, swimming, you know, and she's just drowning with that. And this back is just laid down by all the burdens. And some of y'all know that. Some of y'all are tasting it. You're tasting the burdens of life. You're tasting the burdens of your failures, the burdens of your sins. If you're honest with yourself, perhaps you've been struggling with that. Just feeling like you're floundering, hopelessly trying to kind of make things right. And they're not getting right. They're getting worse. Jesus comes into all of that. And he says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. Notice he doesn't say, come to me. All you who have it all worked out. You came into church and you're looking clean and nice and good. And everything's great. And birds are chirping and the bees are buzzing. And everything is, you know, put together. And we feel like we're just... We're like clean and we got our best clean look on, right? No, Jesus said, come to me all who are laboring and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come as you are. Come in your mess. My son, uh, Josiah, loves to, to dress up in like outfits and costumes. So he's like been the flash, you know, he's been like, I think he's been the karate kid and maybe the Ninja Turtle or something like that. But at, like, and he just, it doesn't have to be like a holiday. He could be like just dressing up just every day, you know. So he loves to do that. But it's not that way when we come to Christ. You don't put on a costume. You don't put on a face. You don't try to be somebody you're not. You come as you are. You come in the brokenness. You come in the heaviness. You come in the uncleanness. You come in the mess. You come in the reality of that fight you had on Tuesday in the kitchen. You come in the reality of just feeling like I failed as a parent. You come in that struggle of wanting to be cool in school and feeling like I just, I just want to, I just want to earn everybody's favor and I want people to think I'm cool. And good, and, and I want a friend. You come in those needs. You come in that mess. You come, and you come to Christ. And you admit you need Him. And you will receive rest. And I'm not talking about, like, rest as in, you know, that everything will be perfect and you're never going to have another problem again. 
How many Christians here know that's not true, right? So you're going to have problems. But the question is, it's better to be in a storm with Jesus than anywhere else without him. Because he can look at the storm and say, be still. Or he can say, like he did to Peter, come on out on the water. Right? And Peter comes out onto the water and everything's cool. Then he starts looking around and he's like, ooh, the storm's looking a little intense. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts putting it on the stuff around him and on his circumstances and he begins to sink. And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. And he wasn't saying that like, you have little faith. I can't believe you did it again, Peter. You sunk again. What a loser. Oh, this, this passage says, right? He says, take up my yoke upon you and learn from me for what? For here's the heart of Jesus. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And he just, he wants to give you that rest. He wants you to know he's tender, loving, compassionate, kind, caring. He wants to free you from the performance trap of trying to do it yourself bootstrap your morality and try to get it done all on your own. And he wants you to come to him with your real needs because he's got real help for your real needs. He's got real forgiveness for your real sin. He's got real peace for your unrest in your soul when you're rattled to the core of who you are and you need a friend, a savior, one who's gentle and lowly to come to you and give you help. And this whole idea of him being gentle and lowly, this is like a picture that the prophet Isaiah lays out in his prophecy. He says of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. And when I first read that, I kind of wondered about it. It just sounded like words for a second. But when you think about it, a bruised reed is a very tender plant, right? It's like a blade of grass that's slightly damaged. Jesus won't even break that when it comes to him, right? Jesus is not going to take the, the, the candle that's flickering in its flame and the wick is smoldering. He's not just going to put that out. So if you're coming to him and you're like a bruised reed and you're like a smoldering wick, Jesus is going to be tender towards you. He's not going to be a heavy-handed condemning king, but he's a gentle, humble savior inviting you in to the rest and peace that you have always longed for and that you cannot properly live life in a fallen world without because you will try to medicate it all sorts of other ways and your soul will be restless until you rest in him. Now, the Pharisees had a yoke that they put on people. It was called the yoke of the law, or all their rules, all their religiousness, all the stuff that they wanted to pile on God's laws on top of it and say, yeah, not only can you not keep Moses, right? You can't keep the Ten Commandments. None of us can. But then they got a whole bunch of extra special rules that you got to like. You can't, 
You can't go this far walking on the Sabbath. You can't flip a light on. You can't do all this stuff because they were afraid they were going to break God's laws. And it was just like a weight crushing them. And this language of Jesus in verse 29 is just take my yoke upon you. And perhaps the farmers in here realize what a yoke is. A yoke is actually when two oxen would be put next to each other to tow a cart or something like that, right? And this big, big wooden beam would go across their necks. And typically you would take a younger, inexperienced ox, and then you would take an older, mature, sturdy, strong ox, and you would pair them together so the one would kind of get help from the other. And that's how you train them. And so Jesus, when he's talking, he's saying, take my yoke upon you. And who's in the yoke with you? It's my yoke, Jesus said. You come to me and I will help you bear your burdens. You're not going to be on your own. And Jesus is not like, you know, we're not talking about like the Arnold Schwarzenegger oxen right up in there. Jesus is the king who holds the world in his hands. So there's no problem he can't deal with. There's no no kind of, of godly living that he will not help you walk into. And he even promises to send his spirit into your heart to empower you to make you new, to remind you of the promises of God, and to be like the seal and approval of God's rescue in your soul. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says. Jesus has got stuff to teach us. And if we're teachable, we're going to walk into that and we're going to we're going to have this book, the authoritative word of God, the divinely inspired word of God that is just giving us guidance to live life, not to try to earn our way to heaven. But it's the directives of our heavenly father who sent his son into the world to rescue those in need. And so you ask yourself, well, how do I get it? How do I get this help? Or if I'm a Christian and. And maybe I've been kind of like Dory and I've just tried to keep swimming and I've kind of lost sight of these truths. Like, how do I get it? When Jesus says, come to me. He's asking first that you admit your need to God. The first step of coming to Jesus is just to admit you need him. Just to admit you need the rescue. You need the help. You need the grace. You need that favor. And just be honest with God. Lord, I am messed up. Lord, I've, I've, I've blown it. I've blown it countless times. And, and maybe you're thinking, yeah, he won't take me. He'll take you. He'll turn away. Nobody who humbles themselves comes to him in faith and asks forgiveness of their sins. So first, admit your need. And if he's revealed that to you today, if he's revealed like, oh, this is me, I need to do it. Like, He's encouraging you. His spirit is speaking to your soul and reminding you, admit your need before me. And secondly, we want to turn to Jesus in that childlike dependent faith that I was talking about with my son. At the end of the day, he's just at the end of his rope and he just holds out his arm. Nothing in this hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You can't bring any of your goodness. It's not good enough. It's tainted with sin, the Bible says. But you can come as you are. 
then you can trust in the one who paid the price for your sins to rescue you from the mess, to rescue you from living on that that self-performance treadmill that you're just like, God, I hope you're going to accept this. No, he sent his son to die on a cross and to live the life you never could so you could be accepted if you will receive that by faith. He's a gentle, humble Savior. Do you hear him calling to you today? Saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, that you are gentle and loving. And, and Lord, I, I, I know that um, I was a mess in all kinds of sin and iniquity. Lord, just beat down by the world. And you rescued me. And Lord, I pray that, that if there are folks in here today who just need that rest, that they would be admitting even now, just saying, Lord, please forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've been running. I know I've just tried to keep swimming, but it's not working. And I need your rescue. And I just, I want to put my trust in Jesus. Lord, do that in the souls of any you are calling. And may they hear the shepherd's voice. And may they follow Jesus and come into his yoke and get the help that they need. And we pray, Father, that you would stir the hearts of your people who maybe have lost sight of this. God, may we just once again afresh come to you in our weariness and get rest for our hearts and our souls and be rejuvenated by your grace. In Jesus' name.